which is Rachel <laughs> noting, we just clapped, right? But I remember we were at a mass and, and she was with us that Archbishop Shapu said before he was moved. And uh, he had introduced something and there had been clapping. And then we got into a more solemn part of the mass and Rachel starts going, quap, quap. <laughs> so I made a point of saying to him afterwards, um, she just wanted us to clap, right? In case he was hearing something else. <laughs> and he said, uh, oh, I thought she was commenting on the liturgy. <laughs> A very funny man. Okay, so uh, last conference. Um, if, if you look at page seven in your little booklet, We've got an image there of Our Lady of Perpetual Help, which is one of my favorite images. Um, and probably most of you already know all this, but in case anybody doesn't, um, what this image shows us is Jesus um, having run into his mother's arms. And you see he was running so fast that one of his sandals came loose and is now just dangling from his foot, right? And Mary is so busy kind of um, making him feel safer that she's not going to mess with his shoe for a while, right? Because that's the kind of mother she is, right? <laughs> the shoe can take care of itself for a little bit. I'm going to take care of him. And the other two images are these angels um, and we're meant to think that these angels have come to him and that's what scared him and caused him to be to come running to his mother um, almost losing his sandal and what the angels are holding are the instruments of the crucifixion right one of them is holding the cross and the other one um, has a spear and um, other, the nails and things having to do with the crucifixion. So it's really a very distressing picture, right? Um, Jesus kind of um, taken aback um, as this becomes revealed to him that this is his destiny. And Mary is so interesting. Um, she's not yelling at the angels. Right? She's not saying, what's wrong with you? <laughs> He's just a little boy. Um, how can you do this? She's just holding him and looking at us Right as she's doing that. Isn't that interesting? Jesus is looking at the, the angel with the cross, but Mary's looking at us. Right. So um, when I give women's retreats, I, I always try to use this uh, image and what I found is that women tend to picture themselves as Mary, right? And to think of themselves as sort of protecting Jesus and taking care of him, right? In the people who are entrusted to them, which I think is great. Um, and men also, right, can, I think, are invited to see themselves as that, right? Off offering Jesus a refuge, and just holding steady with him, not trying to make his fate different, but just being with him in his fate. But I think it's also important for all of us to picture ourselves as Jesus, right? As the one who has come running, who has a glimpse of what's coming and is uh, surprised and not sure. That's all of us. And I think part of why Mary is looking at us is because she knows that, right? And she's, uh, I think she's happy, right? <laughs> you know, there's nothing like a, a, a mom who loves being a mom to uh, try to pick up everybody else's kids. Have you noticed this, right? There's actually a warning in, in my family, right? If you bring a baby into the house, Sue will be holding the baby within 30 seconds. So if you don't, if you don't want your baby to be held by her, just don't bring the baby, right? Because she cannot help herself. She's got a little baby magnet, right? But Mary's like that in spades, right? She just loves all the children, and that's us. Right, so I think part of her gaze 
is just recognizing that parts of this are going to be very hard for us. And she's not going to make them go away. But she will be with us in them, just like her son will. So God, the Father, has had enormous trust in Mary, right? He, he listens for her fiat. He knows it's going to come, but he waits for it, and he, he depends on it. And he didn't have to do that. There would have been other ways for um, God to become man, right? He could have just had Jesus just kind of erupt in the desert, right? Full-blown human being, just like he did with Adam, right? God could have done that, but he didn't. He decided that the incarnation would be uh, through our natural, messy process of, of gestation and birth. And that was a choice that God made, right? I think it's important to remember that. Didn't have to do it that way, but he, he wanted to. He wanted to be dependent on a human being, Right? God the Father wanted that for God the Son, and God the Son consented to that right before his mother was in her mother's womb. Jesus' trust in Mary, his vulnerability to her, is quite remarkable. Right? We, we spend a lot of our time making ourselves as invulnerable as possible. Right? God, who is literally invulnerable, chooses vulnerability in relation to us. He is vulnerable to us in his most important project, which is, what could it be? New human lives, right? That's the point of the universe for there to be as many human beings as God has willed, right? How's that for a crazy 13th century thought, right? We are the point of the whole universe. That makes no sense to us because we think in terms of scale, right? So if, if you're going to have this kind of people and this many of them, then you're going to have this much space, right? God, God is so over the top, right? The setting for our generation is this a magnificently over-the-top universe, right? But that really shouldn't surprise us. Look at flowers. They are totally over-the-top. How colorful do flowers have to be to get the bees' attention? Not that much, right? And certainly not this just chaos of all the colors that are possible. You know, uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, the guy who wrote the Sherlock Holmes? There's one Sherlock Holmes story where it's very out of, out of uh, character, but Sherlock Holmes says, you know how we know God exists? Because there's no reason for the flowers to be so beautiful. Right? That's just somebody going over the top. Right? There, there's no other explanation for it than just somebody's generosity. <laughs> Okay, that's, that's uh, how God is. But the, but the really bizarre thing that God has done is in this project of having um, lives which are brought into existence and then invited to eternal life with him, God could just make all those people, but he doesn't. He cooperates with human couples in bringing new life into existence, which I don't know about you, but sometimes that just strikes me as a really bad plan, <laughs> right? Not only is God cooperating with individual human beings who, as we know, are pretty flawed, he, he makes it so he has to cooperate with two human beings who are then going to have to cooperate with each other, right? Bad plan. Right? This is not the efficient way to do it, right? And he clearly had, he knows about asexual reproduction because he invented that too, right? But he did not choose that for us, right? That is meaningful, people, right? There is meaning in that. Yeah, sometimes I'm not sure what it is, okay? But part of it is that 
God makes himself vulnerable to us in his biggest project, which is making as many of us as he wants. We have to cooperate with that, right? Now, the control freak in me is like, God, that was just stupid, right? That's the amazing thing about God. He's not a control freak. Right? And he w wants to cooperate with us and to be vulnerable to us. Right? He's vulnerable to us in bringing about new human life. He's vulnerable to us in being carried into the world through us. Right? Each of us is called to conceive Christ in our own lives and then take him with us where we go. Right? How Slander points out, there are places that Jesus wants to go that he won't get to go unless you take him there. Right? You're the only one on aisle four by the peas when that person comes by and needs that smile. Right? You, you might be the only one... Uh, who notices that particular scruffy person that everybody else is kind of pretending doesn't exist, right, and can ask, hey, are you okay? Right? That might not get done if you don't do it. Okay. So that vulnerability, that uh, dependence on us, it, it, just, it, it makes no sense. But it makes sense to God, right? He wants that for us. It's, and not that anybody's salvation hinges on me, right? Thank God that's not true, right? But I can be the instrument of, of helping somebody toward salvation, right? I can't do anything that, that uh, cuts them off from their salvation. I don't have that power. <clears throat> but I can actually be the means by which maybe they, they take a step toward. The most profound... Um, kind of sensible way that God is vulnerable to us is, is in the Eucharist, right? Comes as this completely powerless, right, bread, which is also him, and which can be mistreated. How, what's that for a plan, right? But that's his plan. He wants to be with us and to be vulnerable to us. So, Houselander says, uh, when a woman is carrying a child, and this is very interesting, somebody who's never pregnant getting this, she develops a certain instinct of self-defense. It is not selfishness, it is not egoism. It is an absorption into the life within, a folding of self like a little tent around the child's frailty a godlike instinct to cherish and someday to bring forth the life, a closing upon it like the petals of a flower closing upon the dew that shines in its heart. This, she says, is precisely the attitude we must have to Christ, the life within us, in the advent of our contemplation, right, as we're having this quiet time of growth. We could scrub the floor for a tired friend, or dress a wound for a patient in a hospital, or lay the table and wash up for the family. But we shall not do it, if, if we're conscious of Jesus, in a martyr spirit, or with that worse spirit of self-congratulation, of feeling that we are making ourselves more perfect, more unselfish, more positively kind, right? We shall do it just for one thing, that our hands make Christ's hands in our life, right? That Christ is cleaning this floor. Christ is helping out with the dishes. Christ is dressing this wound, right? That our service may let Christ serve through us. That our patience may bring Christ's patience back to the world. Right? Nobody's more patient than Jesus. By his own will, Christ was dependent on Mary during Advent. 
he was absolutely helpless. He could go nowhere but where she chose to take him. He could not speak. Her breathing was his breath, right? Think about that, right? A baby in the womb has no breath but the, the breath that his mother breathes for him. His heart beat in the beating of her heart. Today, Christ is dependent upon men. In the host, he is literally put into a man's hands. A man must carry him to the dying, must take him into the prisons, workhouses, and hospitals, must carry him in a tiny pix over the heart onto the field of battle, must give him to little children and lay him by in his leaf-light house of gold. The modern world's feverish struggle for unbridled, often unlicensed freedom is answered by the bound and closed helplessness and dependence of Christ. Christ in the womb, Christ in the host, Christ in the tomb. This dependence of Christ lays a great trust upon us. Right? We have to trust God, and God has to trust us. During this tender time of Advent, we must carry him in our hearts to wherever he wants to go, and there are many places to which he may never go unless we take him there. So the last image I want to share with you is uh, on page 10. This is Our Lady of the New Advent, who is the patron of uh, our, our archdiocese. This is a beautiful image. Um, you can see it was painted for us, though that's our mountain range behind Mary. And that's our columbine, right, that Jesus is holding. And this is a traditional Theotokos image, right? We're invited to see Jesus in the womb of Mary and to reflect on her uh, role in, in bringing him, right? He, she is the Christ bearer. And that's what Hauslander is saying we're all really called to be as Christ bearers, right? So... Um, the last part of, of Hauslander's book, she talks about our quest, our seeking to bear Christ in ourselves and to see him in others, and talks about this as requiring acts of faith. And she says there really are three acts of faith that we have to constantly be making, right, and sort of reminding ourselves are. Of. The first one is the, the act of faith that God is, right? The ability to say, God, I believe that you are. That's the first act of faith, that you exist. Second, I believe that you are within me, that in my baptism, Right? The space has been created, right? and you are in me, and that I can cultivate that right, through my life and through your, your sacraments that you've given me. Right? You are within me. The third act of faith is I believe that you are in other people. In a lot of ways, that's a hard one. Hauslander says, if we really believe that God is with us, in us, right, then it shouldn't seem strange if we, if we see people genuflecting before the tabernacle, why don't we see people genuflecting before other people? Right? I mean, it would make as much sense, right? But that strikes us as, as kind of strange. Adoration of Christ in the host, right, is a, is a wonderful um, 
opportunity, right, to be, to, and to be quiet with Jesus. Houselander wants us to cultivate also a sense of adoring Jesus in other people, to have that attitude toward them, that they are precious, even if they're really irritating. Right? So here is some of what she says. And I'm, I'm closing with this because this is the part I really need to hear. Okay. So she says, if we look for Christ only in the saints, we shall miss him. If we look for him only in those people who seem to have the sort of character we personally consider to be Christian, that which we call our ideal, we shall miss the whole meaning of his abiding in us. If we look for him in ourselves, in what we imagine to be the good in us, <laughs> we shall begin in presumption and end in despair. Right? Because unless we have really done the journey, right, the things that strike us as the best about ourselves are, are probably just laughable to God, right? The best thing about us is often something that we, we haven't really attended to at all, right? So if we've got this misconception about what it means for me to be holy, right, how much confusion would there be in, in what it would look like in somebody else, Right? So we have to be open that Jesus can look very different in these different places. Our search through faith and courage and love is a great going out into darkness, a reaching out to others in darkness, believing that Christ is there in each one, but not in the way that we expect, not in the way that we think he should be, not in the way that we already understand, but in the way he chooses to be, who is himself the way. Now, anyone who's ever had to contend with someone that they love, having a very different idea about what their life should be, right, and sort having to push against that and say, I know you want that for me because you love me, but this, this is really the shape that my life is taking, and it's not what you expected. Maybe it's not what I expected, but it is what it is, right? That ability to recognize that Jesus can have some pretty amazing surprises in store for us, and some of them might be pretty scary to us or to the people around us, but that doesn't mean that they're not true. Right, and that people are going to live pretty different lives, and that's okay. In fact, Houselander says, each one of us can only live a fragment of Christ's life at one time. Perhaps one moment of it, or one incident, or one experience, right? We each have a part to play, but they're different parts. But through our communion with one another in him, through our oneness with one another because of his one life in us. We make up what is wanting in one another and are whole. And in us all as one body, his whole life is lived. Right? Rachel has really taught me this. I'm an academic. I've been living in my head my whole life. Right? Thinking is what I do. And I really mourned uh, when I realized how the nature of her disability, right? There were three things I mourned. N no wedding, right? She's not capable of consent. No graduation from college. You know, she's a little tiny baby and I'm mourning those things. I had no idea that I was expecting those things, but I was, right, mourning those things. But the thing that I most struggled with was she's never gonna read the books I like. We're never gonna talk about books. It, it, that just blew me away, how can that be? 
And I was talking to a very wise person, really a blessing at this time. And she said to me, you know, all human relationships um, can have uh, four aspects. There's the physical, the spiritual, the emotional, and the intellectual. And she says, the thing about you is you thrive in the intellectual life, and you're married to an academic, right? And you just get to be that all the time. And what you're mourning is she's not going to do that. So how are you going to relate to her? And she said, the ideal thing in all relationships is, is to be related on all four levels. But, she said, I've seen excellent marriages where only two of these were present. And she says, and it doesn't even really matter which two. But it can't only be one. Right? Just the intellectual is not enough. Just the emotional, just the physical, just the spiritual. There's got to be at least two. And she said, and Rachel is perfectly capable of three of the four. But those three, none of them are your strong point. <laughs> Which was really true, you know? And I realized this about my parenting of her older brother, you know, to whom I am giving a discourse on how the cells will bond together as I'm band-aiding his little knee, right? <laughs> even, even the physical is, is caught up with the intellectual, right? But Rachel forced me out of that. And I have learned so much more from her than she could, po could possibly learn from me. The, I've learned so much about myself and what I'm capable of and what is valuable about me. You know, if you had asked me, what, what has God put you here for, right? It would have been an intellectual task, right? But that may not be true, right? That may not be true about me or, or about any of you. And that's good, right? There's a reason <laughs> that we are more complicated and that there's more to us than our minds. Okay, last thing and then we're gonna do painful self-reflection. Get ready, okay, all right. Uh, the giving up of our own idea of how Christ should be in another person is one way of sifting the chaff out of our love and purifying it. Right. So letting Christ be who he is in myself, even if that's very different from what I think it ought to be, but then also extending that to other people. Right. And thinking about the ways that God might be creative in them that are just unexpected, right? And giving them the space for that and loving that in them, right? I think that's the part I really need to think about. It's very easy for me to let go of things with Rachel, right? Because her capacities are so limited, right? But my son, he scares the dickens out of me, right? All the possibilities for him. So I have to cultivate trust, right, that, that God is working in him. And be open to the possibility that this might end up looking pretty different from what it looks like in me or, or in his father, right? That, that could be exactly okay. But maybe not, right? The world is very broken. Where do you kind of draw the line? Very hard. Not easy, right? Here comes another little move with the... Shepherd's switchblade. Okay. So if you look at the last um, page here, page 13, I apologize to all the men. I know this is very painful, right? I will not ask you to turn to your neighbor and share with them, all right? I am not going to do that to you, all right? But I am going to give you the opportunity to share with yourself, right? <laughs> okay, so write a letter to yourself or a few notes, right? A list, whatever you want. As you begin again the circle of emptiness, fiat, advent, seeking. This is the cycle we're all in. And if one of these questions seems to strike you and you, you want to spend your time really reflecting on this, that's fine. 
um, after I read through this, we're basically going to give you like 20 minutes to, to kind of ponder over this, and then Father will give us a closing prayer, okay? And if that becomes really just horrific, right, 20 minutes thinking by myself, right, you know, just look distressed, and Father will figure that out. <laughs> kind of short. Okay. So, uh, possible questions to reflect on. What do you want to keep in mind as you go forward? Is there an idea or image that you've found helpful today that you want to be sure not to forget? Is there something in particular that you want to try to empty yourself of in the next days and weeks? If so, are there some simple steps you could take toward that this week? Is there anything in particular that you think you need to surrender to? say, fiat to? Is there a simple way you could try to increase your conscious awareness of God with you over the next week? How might you do that over the next week or two? And finally, is there a person in whom you think the Holy Spirit wants you to look for Jesus? How might you do that over the next week or two? Quietly reflect.
All right, folks, we're just going to kind of gently draw ourselves to a, a close here with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord God, we ask you uh, to open us, uh, to empty us, empty us of all all worldliness, uh, all the things that are of self and of the world that are not of you. And Lord, give us the, the spirit of Mary to say yes, to utter that fiat. Lord, I pray that every person here today, myself included, Jesus, Lord, make that space inside of us. Uh, make us like that reed of God that you might come and dwell in us. Help us to leave Egypt and the world behind uh, for the sake of your call. Lord, may this Advent season, this Christmas, be a different one for us. May it not be of the world, but may it be of you. May we be ready for your return in glory, but also for your coming in each one of us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, a huge thank you to Dr. Susan Sonner, right? You can see why she's such a gift to us. So, Doc, thank you so much.